This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Harmon Pate, your host for today's podcast. Today, we begin an exciting five-part series on the uniqueness of Christ. Did you know there is no other religion that makes the claims that the Bible or Christ himself makes about his eternal existence? Christ's miraculous conception, the prophecies fulfilled about his coming and his exaltation that transcends time and space, give us a glimpse of Christ's uniqueness. Mark Ray will help us dig deeper into Christ's unique reality. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and the Executive Director of the Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Let's hear now from Mark Ray. When I went to college, I joined a fraternity. And in joining that fraternity, and I'm going to shamelessly name drop here, there was one guy in our fraternity, actually he was a pledge brother of mine, who became fairly famous around the world because he was on the PGA Tour. He was a golfer. And his name was Payne Stewart. Many of you may know that name, and you probably know Payne Stewart because he had a very unique way of dressing on the golf course. He had the old-fashioned knickers, the socks pulled up to here, wonderful wingtip shoes, and the the old-timey golf hat. But that's not how Payne Stewart started on the PGA Tour. In fact, Jeff, if you put that first picture up, when Payne Stewart started on the PGA Tour, this is what he looked like baby face, isn't it? That's about two years onto the PGA Tour, and that's how I knew Payne Stewart. Well, one day, a reporter later in his career, after he had put together his ensemble, asked him, what was it that drove you to do that? And he said, well, I was actually standing on the practice tees before a tournament one one Thursday, And as I looked down, I was driving range balls, and as I looked down, I saw the guy in front of me was a six-foot-two, blonde-haired, blue-eyed golfer. And the guy after him was a six-foot-two, blonde-haired, blue-eyed golfer. And the guy after him was a six-foot-two, blonde-haired, blue-eyed golfer. He said, I looked down that row, and all I could see as far as the eye stretched was six-foot-two, blonde-haired, blue-eyed golfers. And he said, I knew somehow, some way, I had to make myself unique. I had to distinguish myself from the crowd. I had to stand out somehow. So he started the next tournament with these really interesting high knickers, the old golf clothes from the past. He said it was an amazing thing to see, but the more he wore those clothes and the more he stood out, the more it elevated his game. Because he realized if I'm going to be on display, I better play like somebody who's on display. He He wrote it into an entire franchise of clothing that actually parlayed it into an advertising scheme with the NFL, National Football League. And every place that he would play for the four days that he would play, that home city, he would wear the colors of all of the teams 
that were in their conference. So he would wear the teams of Cincinnati or the, or the team colors of, of whoever it might be, whatever place he was in. And the last day of the tournament, if he made it to the last day, if he made the cut to the last day of the tournament, he would wear the colors of that home team. Well, we know Payne Stewart, if you throw the next picture up there, Jeff, we know Payne Stewart as he looks like this. There's the knickers, there's the long socks, there's the shoes. This is perhaps the most famous picture of Payne Stewart. In fact, there's a statue of him that looks like this. This was the day, that was the actual putt that he won the U.S. Open. It was several weeks after that that he died tragically in an airplane crash. But Payne Stewart, at this point in time, with that look, distinguished himself to the point that he was also in the top 10 golfers in the world when that plane crash took his life. He was distinct. He was unique. He lived up to the way he looked. And he set himself apart from anybody else. Nobody else has ever dressed that way or looked that way since Payne Stewart. We're starting a new series This new series is called What Makes Christ Unique? The Distinctives of Jesus Christ. What sets him apart from anybody else out there? And we're going to look at over the next four to five weeks the distinctives of Jesus. We're going to take two or three of them each week, three or four of them each week, and look at what sets Jesus apart. As we do this, we're going to have a special communion service the first of November. There's going to be a couple of other special services. This is going to take us right up to Thanksgiving, November 23rd, and our fall festival. And if you realize this, starting November 30th, we'll be into Advent, the four weeks headed into Christmas. So this is going to take us right up to Advent as we look at the distinctives of Jesus Christ. What makes Jesus unique? I think it's a great lead-in as we start looking at, looking to the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And why are we doing this? Why in the world would we take a look at this? Well, I want to read to you a passage from Paul, Philippians 3. Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul is telling the believers at Philippi that he wants to make sure that they have in front of them on a continual basis the person of Jesus Christ. It's not tedious for him. It's not repetitious for him. It's not boring for him to bring together time and time again the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, he brings it to them so that the more they see him and the more they look at him, the more they will rejoice in him. And he says, actually, it's safe for you because the more I keep Jesus in front of you and the more you look to him and the more you're molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, the less the world has an impact on you and the safer it is for you. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Constant reminders of who Jesus Christ is. Now, marketing studies today, I'll just let you know, marketing studies today tell us that it takes a person hearing the same message between 8 and 11 times before they recognize it and engage in it. Eight to 11 times before they recognize and engage with it. So hearing the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, some of this you may know, some of this you're established in, you've heard it. But seeing it in its distinctiveness in this concentrated look, 
I think you're going to see and hear and know again some of the amazing things about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that maybe you've tucked back on the shelf. Maybe you haven't thought about for a while. Maybe you'll look at it from a different perspective and a different view. So we're going to look very specifically at the uniqueness of Jesus. Today we're going to look at his unique reality. Next week we'll look at his unique relationships. After that we're going to look at his unique role in the world and in our lives. And finally, we're going to look at his unique record, the events in his life that set him apart from anybody else. What makes Jesus Christ unique? We're going to start this morning by looking at his unique reality. And there are three areas that we're going to look at this. The reality of the fact that Jesus existed before time, the reality that he existed in time, And the reality that he is exalted for all time. No one else can make the claims that are made about Jesus in the scriptures and the extant writings around from Josephus and Philo and other historians can make the claims that Jesus made about him being a pre-existent being, about him being one who exists in time right now and how he existed in time, and the one who is exalted for all time. I'm excited about the opportunity to do this because getting this concentrated look, so many times we find these little bits and pieces of Jesus here and there and here and there, and this is an opportunity to see back to back to back to back the distinctiveness of Jesus above and beyond anybody else. First, he existed before time. Jesus pre-existed. Listen to John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. Now, this is John's version, by the way, of the Christmas story, John chapter 1, where you get Matthew chapters 1 and 2 gives us the birth story. You get Luke 1 and 2 that gives us the birth story. Mark kind of starts with John the Baptist. But John gives us a completely different look at the Christmas story. And he starts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. These first three verses set up what the gospel writer John, who will also have a lot of things to say about Jesus in this extent in the book of Revelation, but this gospel writer starts with in the beginning. Now that little word beginning does not mean this is where it started. In the beginning was the word, literally translated means he was there before what came into existence came into existence. He was there prior to whatever exists now exists. He was there prior to whatever was created and came into existence came in. Now we think back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, whatever came into existence was created. And what John is telling us here is that Jesus, the Word, because he's going to tell us in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he tells us very specifically that Jesus, the Word, existed before anything else came into existence. He was there before anything else that we know came into existence. He was there before. Now just let your mind wander to that for just a minute. Jesus pre-existed. He existed before there was time. He existed before there was the earth. He existed before there were the planets. He existed before all of it. Jesus pre-existed. He was there before. 
And that word, the interesting thing about the word, the word, that Jesus was the word, think about in Genesis, how does God create? He creates through the spoken word. And so Jesus is the word through which all was created. He is the word. So it was created through him. He is the vehicle that God used to create. As a matter of fact, the New Testament gives him all the credit for creating. It was all created in him and by him and through him and for him. He is the word through which was spoken the word that created everything that came into existence. Jesus pre-existed and it was all created through him. Everything that came into existence was created through the word Jesus. Does that put him in a little bit different perspective that maybe you haven't thought about? How magnificent he is? How incredible he is? He was there in the beginning before anything existed, and through him it was all created. In fact, listen to what John 1.10 says. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. God created through him everything that came into existence. Through the word, it came. Through the word, it all came into existence. He was the one that created it all. And the interesting thing is when he came into his creation, his creation didn't know him at all. His creation rejected him. And so one of the unique things that we see here is not only did he exist before time, but through him all was created, and even though all was created by him, through him, and for him, his own creation, when he entered into it, rejected him. So he existed before time. Well, not only did he exist, and does the gospel writer give us that account, but Jesus himself claims preexistence. It's one thing to have it written about you, but it's another thing for you to claim it, right? It's another thing you say, yeah, that's me. Listen to him in John 8, as he's talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, right? Before Abraham was, I am. That little I am in the, in the verb tense in the Hebrew means I was preexistent and I was eternal. I'm both. I span the gap of it all. And they were having this argument about Abraham, who was the greatest, Abraham, Moses. Who, and Jesus says, before Abraham was ever born, not I was, but I am. Preexistent and eternally existent. And let me tell you, that I am was a statement of deity. And the next passage, the next phrase in that section of John goes on to say that the Pharisees picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming deity he was claiming eternal existence. So he claimed it in front of the Pharisees. He also claimed equality with God. John 17, 5, and now, Father, in his prayer, he says, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Glorify me together with you. In other words, on an equal plane with you, bring me back his request was for God to bring him back to his pre-existent state on an equal par with God. So he's claiming now not only that he pre-existed, he's claiming equality with the God of the universe. Remember he said, I and the Father are one. Claiming that equality together, ourself, bring me back to that state I was before I came to earth and was incarnated. 
Then he claims eternal existence. Listen to him in Revelation 1. Now, this is John again. And what Jesus says to John is, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, this is an incredible statement because he takes the Greek alphabet, the Alpha and the Omega. And by saying, I'm the beginning and the end, he says, I am the totality. There is no time and space that holds me. I am before the beginning, before anything came into existence, and I'm well beyond the end because I'm eternal. And then he says, remember, I'm the one who is right now, who was before any time, and who shall be, who is to come, who is eternal. Now, these are the claims from Jesus himself. Finally, he says it to John himself in Revelation 21. He says, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'll give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He repeats this statement of eternality. This is Jesus in all of his glory stating, I'm there from the beginning before anything came into existence. It all was created through me, through the word. And I'm there for all eternity. Listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It's going to come up on screen so you can see it. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image, the exact representation of God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, all created by Jesus. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Paul tells us that Jesus not only was there before and thereafter, but he created it all. Not only did he create it, but he sustains it and maintains it. Now, friends, this is the one who desires a personal relationship with you and me. The one who pre-existed, the one who is eternal, the one who claimed it, the one through whom all was created, including you and me, he's the one that says, I want to know you and I want you to know me. Wow. This distinct, unique, magnificent, yes. He's the one that wants to know me, this incredible, magnificent person. Now, why, why is this important to know that he was preexistent and he's eternal and he created? Why is that important? Well, the writings of no other major religion ever make a claim that the founder of their religion preexisted or eternally exists. No founder of any religion ever makes that claim. In fact, the founder of every major religion says that their movement starts at their human birth. But Jesus doesn't. His movement starts before anything ever came into existence. And it continues for eternity. 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant promise that God makes is, I will put a forever king on a forever throne. And it's Jesus. And he will reign for how long? How long is eternity? Forever. We're talking a long time, folks. And he existed before anything came into existence, created it all, and exists for eternity. Now, it's a sad thing for me that I spend a whole lot of my time thinking about Jesus as the Jesus of the New Testament. 
And I think about this guy who walked on the face of the earth, and I think about him in all of his magnificence here on the face of the earth, but I think of him almost in human form. Just the guy who walked the earth for three years, the guy who was born in a manger, the guy who died crucified on a cross. That's how my view of him stays so narrow and so focused that rarely do I get the opportunity or rarely do I take the opportunity to think of him as the preexistent one, to think of him as the eternal one, to think of him as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. Rarely do I put him in that category. And what I'd like to do is just to take a brief moment right now. Seems kind of hypocritical, doesn't it, to take a brief moment to think about the eternal one? But what I'd like us to do is that, right where you're sitting. I want you just to close your eyes, think about, pray to, praise him, meditate on him for just a moment the pre-existent one, the Alpha and the Omega, the eternal one, and think of him beyond the carpenter who walked the face of the earth. Think of him in his magnificence, his supernaturalness, his uniqueness. Take just a moment in quiet, just you and the Lord. We admit today, God, that it's tough to wrap our arms around Eternal, pre-existence, creator of it all. It's also astounding to think about the fact that you existed all the way back to the cry of the first baby, to walking in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve all through eternity. Eternity past and eternity future, you've not only walked it already, but you've been there outside of space and time. You've pre-existed. You created it all. You claimed that eternality with God, and you're a God who actually wants to know me. Thank you for being a God who is not far off, Thank you for being Jesus who is not so big and so magnificent and so supernatural that we cannot know you. Thank you for being willing to be in the midst of it with us. To your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first distinctive here is he preexisted. Nobody else in history ever claimed it. Nobody else in history ever has it. He claims to be eternal. Nobody else in history of any major religious movement ever in the history has ever claimed it. And by the way, backed it up. But the second distinctive of this morning is that he existed in time. The God of the universe who is above and beyond time and space, came into time and space right here, right now. Now, I want to read to you how he came into time and space. We've heard the John Christmas story. I now want to read to you the Matthew Christmas story, just the little hint of it. This is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a little unique the only one to ever be a child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Well, that's a little unique. Angel of the Lord shows up. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So now, not only do we have, John, not only do we have Matthew who tells us that Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit. We now have an angel who declares Jesus is conceived of the Holy Spirit. She'll bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. Well, that's really unique, too. That the angel says you're going to have a son. There were no sonograms back in that day, right? So you're going to have a son. You're going to call him Jesus, and he's going to save the people from their sins. It's an interesting job title. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So there's two more unique things. Number one, that there were prophecies about him coming forward. And the other one is that he'd be born of a virgin. Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took him to his wife, Took, him, took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and they called his name Jesus. Jesus existed in time, uniquely, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, prophesied previously. An angel of the Lord tells him he's going to come. No one else in history can claim this kind of birth. This existence into history, this existence into time, this Here's who he is, and here's, what, here's what's going on, and here's what's there. This is an incredible statement about who Jesus is, born in time, existed in time, right here, right now, uniquely. Listen to what John says in 1.14. John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Christmas story in one sentence. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to how Eugene Peterson puts it. Jesus became one of us and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that a great statement? Ken Geyer goes on to say, not only did he move into the neighborhood, but by the way, he chose to move into the slums. From where Jesus came from to coming to earth, he moved into the slums, voluntarily moved here. Ken Geyer in his book, Shaped by the Cross, says this. He says, of all God's creation, man and woman were his masterpiece. They were also the only work he modeled after himself. You and me modeled after the image of God. He goes on to say, here is God made man. It's too wonderful to imagine and at the same time too horrible. It's too wonderful that God would enter into our midst to live among us as one of us. It's too horrible that he who stooped to shoulder the sorrows of humanity would himself become a man of sorrows, rejected by man and forsaken by God. This is what it cost the Son of God to become one of us. He existed uniquely in time, conceived of the Holy Spirit, a humble birth, born of a virgin, prophesied previously, an angel announcing it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, since a fallen man cannot rediscover and assimilate the form of God, the only way is for God to take the form of man and to come to him. The Son of God who dwelt in the form of God the Father lays aside that form and comes to man in the form of a slave. The change of form which could not take place in man now takes place in God. And to quote that great theologian Vince Loftus, 
God made man in his image. And when we messed that up, God made God in man's image and sent him to us so that we might know him. Yeah. Unique. And there's an even more unique statement here. And that is in order to have Christ come into existence, this pre-existent one come into existence, God announced it. And he announced it with an angel. Angel's name is Gabriel. And he said this, this is Luke, so you get a little bit more of the Christmas story here. Now in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Again, confirming a virgin. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, isn't that interesting? Having come in, the angel just kind of saunters into the room. Mary, how you doing? Good to see you. This angel makes an entrance and says to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She saw him and she was troubled and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. Right. For you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Here comes an angel announcing the birth. And by the way, Mary was 14 years old. How many of you remember when you were 14 years old? And what would you have done if an angel sauntered into your room and said, Hey, highly favored one, God's coming to meet you personally. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I don't know a man? angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel gives her this incredible announcement about the one who is coming to exist in time. And I need to share with you just for a moment. I've told you about my dad. On October 10th, just a couple of days ago, we celebrated my dad's dad's fifth going to heaven day. He died five years ago on October 10th. And Melissa and I were out walking a couple of nights ago, and we started to reminisce about a certain song. There's a song out there by a a composer. The song is called Gabriel's Oboe. You may have heard it. It's been performed by about 150 different artists. And this is a haunting melody. And in talking about Gabriel, we started talking about my dad. And this song and this melody that was a part of this, and and Melissa started to reminisce about what music must be like in heaven. And the thought that struck me was this, and I've said a couple of times, I can't wait to get to heaven to meet Paul and to meet Peter and to meet Simeon, meet a bunch of those guys, see them face to face. And the thought struck me, for the last five years, my dad's been there. And there's every possibility that my dad has met Gabriel face to face and has sat down with him and had a conversation with him. Think about this for a minute. I mean, I think about David and I think about John and I think about Paul, those kind of guys. But my dad has probably met Gabriel face to face and had a conversation with him. Gabe, how was it when you walked into Mary and said, behold, Jesus is coming? What must that have been like? And it absolutely, it just, it boggled my mind 
to think that my dad may have had an opportunity to just not only see him, but talk with Gabriel who delivered this message of who Jesus Christ is and that he's the one, the pre-existent one, the one, the eternal one, the almighty, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who's coming. And not only that, he's probably had a chance to go say hi to Mary too. Mary, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm Bud. How are you? Because of Jesus Christ, this is what is available to us. That when we die, it's not the end. Because he is the eternal one. He is the pre-existent one. And because of his work on the cross, by trusting and believing in him, we have eternity. Or we get a chance to say hi to Gabe. And hi to Mare. And Joe. And Bud. Listen to how Isaiah 9, 6 puts it. Because... What these passages talk about is the uniqueness of Jesus as the God-man. It's called the hypostatic union. He is fully God and fully man. Listen to Isaiah 9, 6. We know this text. It's another Christmas text. We love this one. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is no better text in all of the scripture that lays out the God-man. Listen to it as it unfolds. First of all, he is a child born. Born just like you and just like me. A child born, though conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, but a child who is born into this world like you and I were. But not only that, he is the deity side. He is a son given. He is the son of the father. He is the son of man. He is the son of David. So we have human and we have God. We have also the wonderful, which out of the Hebrew is the supernatural, the incredible, the wonder, but he's also a counselor, the human side, wisdom like Solomon. We know from the text in the New Testament that he grew in stature and wisdom even at age 12. We get the, God, the, the, the human side now with mighty, heroic like David. We know what that's going to be like when he returns. And God, the deity side, need I say more, he is a mighty God. But he's also an everlasting, there's the deity, there's the eternal, but he's an everlasting father, the human side, father to a nation, father to you and me. This is one of the only places in all of scripture that Jesus is described as father. Isn't that an interesting one? He's also a prince, humanity. This is the human side. He's born to royalty, born to the task, but he's the prince of peace. He's the prince of shalom, as only God can make it. He is the prince of making everything as it should be under him. I grew up in Houston, and when I was about, well, the house that I grew up in was on a a U-shaped street, you know, a U that comes together like this, and right where the corner of the U connected with the stem, that's where our house was. We were on about a quarter of an acre, and we had 35 trees in our front yard. We had a grove of about 15 pine trees off to the, I hate pine trees, I really do. Pine needles and sap and all that. But on the other side of the yard, we had all these wonderful oak trees, all these hardwood oak trees in the yard. Now my house sat up kind of on a hill and it it swooped down to the street level. And right at the rise, there were these three huge oak trees. My house was the place out in front of our house because of where it was situated on the street. We played football, we played baseball, we played kickball, we did everything out in front of my house. 
And on this particular day, we were sitting out front because we'd rake the leaves. Many of you will remember, we used to be able to burn leaves outside. Remember that? Burning leaves outside. Remember the smell of burning leaves outside? Wasn't it a great smell? And so there's this great pile of leaves smoking and smoldering out in front, right in front of our yard. And we're playing tag. The kids are playing tag in the front street. And I'm hiding behind my dad. And my best friend, who lived right across the street from me, is reaching around my dad to try to tag me. I'm looking back at him, and I'm running up the hill, and I ran smack dab into the middle oak tree. And I hit it with my face. I mean, there's a great... You hit it, no, I hit it with my face. And friends, it knocked me absolutely unconscious. It's only happened one other time in my life, but I went down like a rock and didn't come to. When I came, I mean, everybody circled around me. My face is bleeding. I've got bark in my face. But it knocked me. It knocked. It hasn't looked any better since then. It, it knocked me completely out. I was unconscious. And friends, when I tell you this last week, I keep thinking of Jesus in this humble stable. I keep thinking of Jesus in this little manger. I keep thinking of Jesus and how he came into the world through, through these humble means of being birthed. And what hit me this week, like running into an oak tree, was the fact that the one who came into the world uniquely by the Holy Spirit through a virgin prophesied, announced by an angel, is the one who's existed before time. He is the one who is magnificent. He is the one who is eternal. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who came in. I had an old seminary professor that said, think about it this way. When Christ was born as a baby, he not only had created the earth, but he was sustaining it as a baby. What continues to hit me over and over again as I look at the distinctives of Jesus is that I keep trying to put Jesus in this little small box. He's the carpenter. Yes, he's the God-man, but friends, he's the God-man. He is both. He is distinct and unique. And what makes this really important is this. No other founder of any religion can ever point to being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, prophesied for his coming, and announced by an angel. No one can compete with that. No one sits on the same plane with that. No one's even close to that as a distinct person who has entered this time. It's important because he's the only one who has ever had a miraculous and yet humble birth. And he's calling to say, amen. I'm telling you, if your phones are on, you're going to get called out. I'm just letting you know that, all right? The pre-existent one, the one who is eternal, who existed before time, also existed in time uniquely only him, the only one who's ever done it that way. But he's also the one who is exalted at all times. This final distinctive is a really interesting one. Because if you go back to before time, before anything existed here, the angels were worshiping Christ. 
We know this from Isaiah 6, where the angels have been circling his head, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And by the way, if you ever want the greatest praise chorus in the world, think about the fact that these angels revolve around his head and are singing constantly over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Over and over and over again because he's worthy of it. So he has been worshipped before time, right? Worshipped before time. But he was also worshipped in time. Listen to Matthew 2, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Who comes into existence here is now these pagan guys from the east who come to worship the child as a child. Now, it wasn't unusual for a child to be worshipped because kings had been worshipped in the past. But what's unique about this child is that he was worshipped as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he's worshipped as the king of kings and the lord of lords from wise men from the east, astrologers, people who had read not only the stars, but had read these scriptures about who he was and who this was that was going to be born. And they traveled these long distances to come worship him as the king of kings, as God, as Lord of lords. But the other people that worshiped him were shepherds, the lowliest of the low. He was worshiped uniquely in time. They also presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, frankincense and myrrh being burial spices, And the gold, that monetary gift that was used by Joseph and Mary when they left to go to Egypt, and he had no job. God provided everything across the board. But here is this unique child who's worshipped not only before time, but he's worshipped in time as a child. And then he's also worshipped for all time. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the the name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has not only been worshipped since before anything came into existence, but he was worshipped here uniquely on this earth. And he will be worshipped for all eternity because every knee will bow, not just a couple. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Jesus Christ the Lord. Spurgeon once said this, he said, we need to wash our face every day in a bath of praise. A great statement. Every morning, wake up and just splash a little praise on your face. Praise for him who is preexistent. Praise for him who is eternal. Praise for him who is unique in time. Praise for him who is exalted among all time. And we ask, why is this important? Well, though he existed before time, which is a little hard to grasp, he existed in time, and he fulfilled every prophecy that was made about him coming to pass, which puts him in a plane above all else. But the fact of the matter is, he came. And he came for you, and he came for me. And he left his heavenly kingdom 
and moved into the neighborhood, into the slums, so that you and I might know him deeply and intimately forever. Listen to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. He came because he wanted us to have life. So he is this pre-existent, incredible, exalted, unique one who came into time and into space and into our world, and he's the one who is exalted above all else. There is no one else who even matches those three distinctives. We could put an exclamation point and stop right there, but we're going to get a couple of others. But let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever received an invitation? You ever gotten an invitation? Invitation in the mail to a birthday party or to a wedding, invitation to, to something. You've received an invitation in the mail or personally handed to you or somebody's personally invited you, right? You received an invitation. How do you feel when you receive an invitation? Special. You feel good, right? You feel honored. You feel like, man, somebody remembered me. I'm, I'm in the end because I got an invitation to this special thing, right? Say yes, Mark, right? You, you feel really good because somebody thought about you enough to invite you to do this, to be a part of this, to be in the midst of this. Well, friends, let me just tell you something. The pre-existent one, the eternal one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who existed before time, the one who exists in time, the one who is exalted at all times has an invitation for you and for me. And he invites you and me personally, each one of us, to worship him. Because you're special and because he's worthy of it. Above all else, Jesus is distinct and unique. And because he is worthy of it, the invitation for you and me right now is to come and worship him. Amen. You've been listening to Mark Ray. After hearing of the uniqueness of Christ's reality, our hope is that our worship experience and our prayers will somehow be affected to draw us in awe and reverence to our Savior. Perhaps you would like to share what you've learned with others or review it again for yourself. We're going to have the series in our archives, and we have made available a free study guide for your personal or group study. Download your copy of The Uniqueness of Christ series at gsot.edu forward slash center. That's gsot.edu forward slash center. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.